Hey team, welcome back and welcome to episode 25 of Transition Talk, where we talk about dental transitions and how to navigate the sometimes messy path to practice ownership. So one of the most critical documents you review as an owner is your P&L. What's P&L? Profit and loss, income statement, statement of cash. We've heard it called many names. Basically, it means how much revenue do I have coming in and what are my expenses and what's left over. Today, we're going to dive into the basics of P&L. We'll call it P&L 101. So you can understand how to understand the document you're looking at, whether it's in the diligence phase or whether you're familiar with it because you own a practice and want to become more educated in what is in your bank account. So before we get started, Mr. Loretto, how are you today? I am awesome. Good. It's so fun to do these. I'm excited. <laughs> Pumped. Tell me about uh, Mr. Cole. So this is a Dwayne story. Cole. I've told this about a half dozen times. It may get told more because it's a good one. So we go to register the six foot seven OU kid, and, and we are there, and it, everything is wonderful. The little parent orientation. I'm singing the OU fight song for the first time. And then the kid goes off, and he's going to start registering for classes. And I get a text. Text message says, Dad, I don't have my ID. I said, well, son, I'll send you a picture of your ID. And he said, Dad, that's not going to work. I said, well, what do you expect me to do? He goes, I don't know. So we are three hours away from OU to Plano, Texas. Mm -hmm. I need to somehow figure out how that ID is going to come from Plano to Norman in less than four hours. And I can't call the wifey and just stop what you're doing and stop her nursing duties and just come drive it up. I am going through my head within 30 minutes I come up with a solution. Oh, my Lord. Uber. You did not. I did. I did. I Ubered. So I called Uber. I just put it on my app. And sure enough, it's $171. She was three minutes away. I hit enter. And then I called the wifey. And I'm like, honey, get the passport. Run outside. There's a great Corolla. Give the passport to the person. She's like, what? did not. Yes, I did. 171 bucks. And so the girl gets in the car. I can see that it's going. And I talked to her a little bit on the phone. Then she called me back a few minutes later. And she said, um, this is like three hours away. I'm like, that's correct. Oh, my God. She had like a long pause. And she's like, this is... Uh, uh, Oklahoma. I'm like, ma'am, it is Oklahoma. Yes, it's three hours away. I need for you to confirm this is the trip you're going to do. If not, please turn back around and give the passport back to my lovely wife. No, I'm happy to do it. I go, there is a gracious tip, and I will meet you the moment you're in Norman. And sure enough. Oh, my goodness. I, I got it at 1.45, and registration was like at 2 o'clock. You and so, cannot see my eyeballs, but they are humongous. So I had my pulse just stayed chill, and, you know, I didn't really I just solved it from my phone. And then my son doesn't really, he's not upset. He's like, did you get it, Dad? I'm like, yeah. He's like, thanks, Dad. <laughs> just, oh, <laughs> my goodness. So anyway, children. 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 I guess they're not really children. This is a 19 year old child, but we love him. Totally. That's amazing. <laughs> What's happened in your world? Not that. Not $171 Uber? Not $171 Uber. My fridge went out oh. the day before July 4th, and we still don't have a fridge. And I know this is like a total first world problem, yeah. but when I have to make lunches in the morning and we're eating leftovers and I have to walk out to my second fridge, I totally know this is a first world problem, but it's in my garage. It's really far. It's real annoying. And there's like, what fridge do you buy? Like, is, it, is it the 1,000? Is it the 2,000? Is it the 3, the 4? Do we need it custom? What size is this? It's 
too many so decisions. I don't care. Like, I literally want it to look the same. I want it to just work. Like, if it yeah. can just be one step from my coffee maker in the morning instead of having to walk out to the garage to get the creamer, I'd be yes. totally happy. Yes. So, yes. first world problem, yes. but that's what I'm dealing with. It's a basic problem, but that's what it is. So, speaking of basics. Basics. We have not talked about the profit and loss ever on the podcast, but it's a question we get a lot, and I think it's a question that some people maybe aren't super confident in asking because they feel like they should know. Right. Or they feel like they are dumb if they don't know this. But why else would you ever look at one of these? But I think it's really, really important to understand accounting and understand the profit and loss. And you're going to be a business owner. And unfortunately, you don't get enough of that in school if you're a young person. And if you already own a practice, you probably didn't get enough of it in school um, or experience. And so real world training is what you get. We're going to talk about the organization of it and how we think is a good way to do it and what different cost structures are. But before we do that, we get a lot of questions about accounting. And most people hear accounting or they hear a CPA and they think that is the person that does your taxes, that does your accounting, that's doing your QuickBooks. But there are a lot of different functions and different people that can help put together this P&L or, or that are going to be a part of your accounting world. So give us a breakout of those important people. Yeah. So actually broken down from an accounting standpoint in three different categories. And so one is bookkeeping. And to me, the definition of bookkeeping is somebody who opens the mail, who goes into some type of software. We prefer a software called Zero. And from that software, you're able to actually pay the bill. So you can go on and pay the Shine bill or Patterson bill or Benko bill. You can pay the rent bill, pay whatever. And then you actually put the chart of account code in there so it ties into the software. And so that's basic bookkeeping. And for young people that buy businesses, I really strongly encourage you to do this yourself. Minimum the first year, okay? The second part of this is the accounting. And the accounting is typically, I'm going to recommend that you have an accountant that specializes in dental that can work with you on the chart of accounts to make sure the chart of accounts are set up correctly in the right buckets. And we'll spend some time on that here a little later. But that accountant is reconciling everything that you did at the bookkeeping level, kind of looking at your bank statements, looking at how you coded everything. Is there a one-off kind of, you went to this meeting and had this one-off expense like where it should go because you didn't know where you put it in the wrong bucket and also just tying everything up to cash you got fifty thousand dollars in your checking account i should see on your balance sheet fifty thousand dollars i should be able to see if i got a credit card statement that comes in that everything gets nice and tidy and clean i prefer monthly the only time i'm gonna be maybe let's go a little bit less expensive and do quarterly accounting is going to be on a startup GP practice that's really slow. Mm -hmm. But you really need to understand your books on a monthly basis so you can truly get a hold of managing that business. Yeah, and I think the technology these days, when I hear people that say, oh, well, my accountant only does financial statements twice a year. Right. I don't see how that's enough to, like, I don't see why that's what we're doing, and I don't understand how that's enough to really have a grasp of, like, how your business is doing. If I was an owner and had to make a debt service, I'd want to know what I was doing more frequently. Even quarterly, you run a million dollar practice and all of a sudden you have a hundred thousand dollar month in January. You can't even see how well you've done the month of January, much less the quarter until maybe somewhere in the May range because it's two months behind. Yeah. It just, 
you're managing a business and you really need to see the information on a monthly basis. So bookkeeping, accounting, the third part is actually the tax preparation. Mm -hmm. So it's putting the information into the S-Corp and putting the information into the 1040. And one of the things that I feel that Kane Waters Division does a really good job of is the ability to oversee that, oversee that process, work with that young doctor and what to do in the bookkeeping, work with what type of accounting and chart of accounts and work with the planning steps, which are the tax planning at the business and tax planning at the personal level. So yeah, super important to understand those three things. Yeah, those three roles. And then I want to spend some time on the organization. So clearly that accountant, you're doing the bookkeeping, the accountant is preparing those financial statements, the financial statements that they're usually going to prepare. When I say financial statements, I'm talking about three things. I'm talking about your profit and loss, your balance sheet, and a general ledger too, but generally those two things, your balance sheet and your profit and loss. And there might be some other statements they put together for you, but those are the two things that pretty regularly when someone says financial statements, that's what they're talking about. On, we're going to focus on the profit and loss statement today. So profit and loss or the P&L groups into two main buckets, revenues. So it can be called revenues. It can be called collections. It can be called professional fees. It's the money that came in from patients right? Or from insurance or from doing what you do in your business. Now, if you are an owner and you have other income, you speak, you teach, you sell toothbrushes, whatever it is, that can also be revenue. But we really want to distinguish collections or professional fees from your dentistry, from those other lines of income. I have seen profit and loss statements that have cash collections, check collections, insurance collections, visa, and they even break it down by the type of credit card. Clearly, if that works for you, it's not unmandatory. It can have benefits, but it's not something where it's a critical thing like some of the expense classifications like we'll talk about in a minute, but is important that you have it broken out from dentistry kind of type collections and retail or other lines of income you might have. Agreed. Then for expenses, Charles just referenced this, but the most critical thing when we're talking about expenses is starting with a good chart of accounts. Or if you already own a business and you're already in the middle of your accounting, to take a good long look at how you're classifying your expenses and clean up the chart of accounts. When I talk about chart of accounts, what I'm talking about is what expense categories do you have? And it goes for actually revenue too, but mainly expense. What expense categories do you have? So salaries, lab, rent, advertising, office supplies, computer supplies. My worst nightmare is getting a profit and loss statement from a client or to review for a buyer and it's like five pages long. (laughs) Or a half a page. Or a half a page, right? (laughs) Like we can go to either extreme. But when it's five pages long and I can tell that over the years when they make a payment for something and they're like, this should be computer paper. This should be computer ink. This should be computer salesman A. This should be computer salesman B. And there's seven accounts that really mean the same thing. Like really we're talking about computer supplies. But if you're not familiar with your accounting, aka you've never done your books, you have someone who's not number-minded, who's in charge of your bookkeeping, they're just putting things in random accounts, it makes it really, really hard to compare year over year, which we'll talk about later. It makes it really hard for you to really see how much you're spending because you got to do a lot of math to add up all those categories. So starting with a good chart of accounts, 
that is dentistry related too. I mean, there's a lot of chart of accounts out there, but starting with a good chart of accounts is definitely the one. And having a clear definition of whomever's going to be doing your accounting, having a definition of what you consider office supplies, what do you consider office expense, what is dental supplies. I can't tell you how many times we'll be doing evaluation or we'll be doing client work and dental supplies will jump up one year and they're like, oh yeah, somehow that equipment that I purchased and I purchased it from Henry Shine, but my bookkeeper just saw Henry Shine and put it in dental supplies, right? right? So having someone who understands that Henry Shine might be one or two things and distinguishing between that is important. Again, not a category for every one-off expense. We see a lot of miscellaneous or I think QuickBooks must have a default of ask my accountant because there's always this ask my accountant line. And I'm like, when I first thought I thought someone was being funny and then I realized I think it's just a default in QuickBooks. I've even seen like gold or random personal accounts, right? Don't use those. Like, I understand you might have a one-off expense that really doesn't fit anywhere. Maybe I'll have those personally and professionally, but the less you use those, the better. You have zero transparency into what's in a miscellaneous account, and it gives you no data. You have no way to understand what that is, and it's better if you just don't use those. Another thing that I like to see and I think is really helpful is the use of sub-accounts. And I know you think this as well. You feel strongly about this one. Yeah, so the sub-accounts, I would love to see. So like dental supplies is the best example. And that actually means take a step back. So with regards, when we talked about the revenue, our revenue bucket and our expense bucket is basically our profit and loss statement. The only time that I want to see maybe a breakout or maybe I care a little bit more about the breakout is on my professional fees. If I have a hygiene department, which in this case would be my GPs, be my perios and my pedos, I would like to see that revenue bucket in that category there on my financial statement just because I always like to look at that and I always want to be able to look at my expense category, subcategory of hygienists to kind of measure those two quickly at a glance. So to me, when I think about profit and loss statement, I really want one to two pages that for me as a business owner, 30,000 foot up, I can just look and see how's my business doing? What's jumping out at me that's good or bad? So. For a subcategory, I'll give you two examples of my subcategory. So subcategory would be on expense would be my supplies. So if I am a implant practice, I want to be able to see my true supplies. I want to be able to see, in your example with a dental supply vendor, if there were some hand pieces or some other purchases through that, that I just don't want it dumped in there. I want to be able to see because I really want to measure that my true supply costs are hovering around five and a half percent. That's going to be my ultimate goal. So if I just see an eight or nine or 10 number, it's going to ask questions. Either you're really bad managing it or potential, you know, we've got some implants. So I'd be able to see that maybe in our lab, maybe able to see that even in our staff. So subcategories there and just in one category would be like your overall office expense. I'd like to see the detail in our three main areas. And so I know you'll kind of take that more in our direct cost section, but subcategories can be really beneficial. It's just about managing this and not let it to your example, get where there's five pages of profit and loss statements. Yeah. And I think it allows you to see big picture and then drill down and see where am I spending the most in this category? I think advertising was one of the really good example of, Hey, I spend 80,000 a year in advertising, 
but when I really drill down, I'm spending this much with direct mail. I'm spending this much on a yellow page contract. I'm spending this much in SEO. And then hopefully, if you're doing a good job in advertising and tracking where new patients come from, you can then relate new patients to those individual cost categories. If you have an associate who's in the practice and you are tracking supplies and lab for them, right? You can create a subcategory of that. So everything's still rolling up in your financials and you can still see that from a big picture global perspective, but you're able to kind of drill down. And I always think of like double clicking on it and kind of letting it roll down so you can see what is a part of that number. Yeah. And I think it just so many stories are like that pop there. So I've looked at pediatric practices where someone's going to buy a pediatric practice and they had a three or 4% marketing advertising expense. And, you know, it's a $2 million practice. I mean, you know how much a pediatric dentist advertises? Mm -hmm. That'd be none. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's little to none. So my question is, why are we in these journals? Why are we, why? And the young lady that was the associate in the practice says, I don't know. (laughs) I I don't know. You got a hundred new patients a month. Why are you advertising Mm -hmm. in these journals that you can't even tell me that are working? You're spending $80,000. That's a good point. You know, I can think of a four or five million dollar practice I just looked at in South Texas and the same thing. They had two hundred thousand dollars. Well that first doesn't really scream like a big expense. It's maybe a two, three percent advertising expense. But you drive into it and you say, Are you measuring the return on investment with this radio? Are you measuring the return on the a yellow page ad? It was a yellow page expense. I mean, seriously? Yeah. And so just being able to point out these types, and they actually had those subcategories in the profit and loss. Yeah, and so I was looking at it and being able to you know, point this out to my buyers, and it's really the first time that they've actually looked at it or even conceptually thought about, am I getting a return here? Well, as an owner, you better be thinking that way. And so it's a great practice. Yeah, and it's a tool, it's right? A tool. All of these are tools to give you data to help you understand either what you're buying or what you already own yes. and how to make it better or what you're doing well at and what you don't need to focus on anymore. And the advertising is a good example of that. So... Okay, so we have chart of accounts, we have revenue and expenses. Within expenses, there's typically three main categories of expenses, direct cost, indirect cost, and then the non-operational or investment type cost. Direct costs are exactly what you think they are. They are the direct expenses related to the dental production, clinical work that you're doing. What expenses you need to have in order to get that dentistry done. And so typically what we'll see here are salaries, the payroll taxes for those salaries, lab supplies, and I like to include credit card processing fees as part of a direct cost because it is also directly related to patients kind of swiping their card and that fee, you pay for that. We like to see salaries broken up by area, so hygiene, office, chairside, or assistance, other And if you have an associate, breaking out doctor salaries is really, really key because we have, and we'll talk about this in a second as far as how do I know what is normal and what's not, but we like to be able to, one, trend analysis to see how much are these people producing for what I'm paying them, and then also to really understand totally what my salary costs are. I don't want to include my associate in there, and I don't want to include if I'm paying my spouse for retirement purposes or my child because they modeled for pictures in my office. I don't want to include those when I'm trying to analyze like what are my costs to run the practice. So we definitely like to see that broken up. Yeah, I love just the three main areas on the salary. So just as you mentioned, 
the main one I want to look at is my hygiene. It typically is where we see the most inefficiency in a practice overhead is our hygiene salaries compared to what they're actually collecting in the practice. And so that's one of those features that I would be able to look at my one to two pages and see, okay, I have a hygiene expense of 150 here broken out. Let's go back to my top line of revenue. Okay, perfect. Our hygiene department did 450. That's three times revenue. Maybe even I asked my accountant to have a percentage there so I can see it. Click, boom, you know, high level. I know my hygiene department is running really efficiently. And so our goals there by practice, I'll go through some of our office direct cost goals for each specialty here in a second, but it's so important that this is broken out because we want to be able to look and be able to point out any variances just really quickly. Absolutely. And again, the lab and supply costs, we touched on this, so I won't spend too much more time on it, but breaking those out, if you have an associate, especially important if you have an associate and especially important if they are going to be paid or they're responsible for a portion of their lab or supply, or you want to understand your break even on that associate, making sure that subcategories there in the direct cost area are attributed to them. Yeah. So a couple of things there. So in general, when we think about our direct costs or indirect, I also just refer to them as fixed costs. So fixed costs, just think about your things that are fixed. Your direct costs in general, for a GP practice is somewhere around that 40%. And in general, somewhere the fixed cost is somewhere around 20%. Now these are on single doctor practices. As you grow, then these numbers can be a little bit more efficient, mainly on our fixed cost area. But as you mentioned, when we have that associate in the practice, which many of you either will be the associate in the practice already are, or any type of partnership, I think it's really important that you do have separate categories on the expenses tied to the lab and tied to the supplies, maybe the implants, just so we kind of keep track of it, Mm -hmm. you know, because what I don't want is for this to be a $2 million, $3 million operation and we just throw everything in this giant bucket and just split it by two and everything's wonderful. What happens in that scenario is you lose focus Mm -hmm. and your overheads will start to come out of line. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. So keeping those direct costs separate looking at them separately is really, really important because they should have that same kind of proportion to what you're doing over time. The other category is the indirect or fixed costs. Both kind of names kind of float there together. These are costs that don't depend on your production. You'll have them either way. They're not directly related to the work you're doing. Fixed costs generally will stay the same every month or roughly the same. Indirect costs might vary over time, utilities, things like that. So your rent is a good example of fixed. Utilities, advertising, those are generally kind of indirect. They're going to fluctuate but have no relationship. Maybe, hopefully, advertising does, but generally no relationship to the people coming in the door. Insurance, other things like that would also be fixed. These are expenses you're going to have Even if zero people walk through the door, you're going to have some type of expense in this category. And as Charles just mentioned, these are going to go, hopefully, down as a percentage of collections whenever your practice grows. You're going to become more efficient, and this is how you're going to gain profitability in your practice. Yeah, and some thoughts there is, you know, from an accounting standpoint, I'll share with you the benefit of lowering fixed costs is obviously when you grow. And so we've been involved in numerous mergers where we take a million or $2 million practice and we put them together. And the whole goal is that you lower these fixed costs. So sometimes 
maybe younger people. I know you've written an article on this where we took these two, I believe it was like female doctors doing around 600 or so, and they merged practices together. The benefit of merging is that they basically reduced mm-hmm. their fixed costs. I mean, you don't yep. need two rents. You don't need two advertising budgets. You don't need the lights on at two different places. You become more efficient. So now all of a sudden the two people together were able just to be more profitable in the same exact yep. procedure. So it's certainly cool to look at that and see the benefit. And then on some of these fixed costs, when we look at them, Again, we do this every day. We were looking at practices of practice yesterday that I just looked at. She's buying it, and there was a janitorial expense. And so I'm thinking janitorial. I'm thinking like 500 bucks a month maybe. Mm-hmm. You know, somebody twice a month comes in, does a little good job. Everyone else kind of cleans up after themselves. Yep. You know, your $15 an hour <laughs> employees, or that's what their job is. You clean up before you go. But this had a $75,000 expense or something in that range. And so when I asked my young buyer, she's like, yeah, don't go there. And so it is what it is. We need to be able to look at these businesses and dive into this and then to figure out how much after we purchase this business on this particular fixed cost, on this particular direct cost is going to be the same kind of going forward. So it's going to be interesting to see as we move forward and working with her to what our new janitorial expense is. But I'm going to be guessing here it's not going to run 75000 to clean the place up. <laughs> well, and I think it's important to know if I'm looking at buying a practice, like what costs can I control and what costs can I not? And by understanding which are direct and related to the work you're going to do, yes, there are clearly practices we look at. I just looked at one today at an 8% supply cost and all shouldn't really do anything that needed additional supplies. And standard supplies around 5%, that's 3% that if she can just go in and renegotiate some of those contracts, that's profit she can get back. But you can't take 5% supplies. It's rare you can bring that down to one or two, right? Like there's a certain level of those direct costs you'll always need where indirect costs you can clearly make those more efficient. They're, you know, they're not related to the people coming in the door, so you can maybe negotiate some of those rates. So just understanding where costs fall, I think, will help you understand where maybe you can make your practice more efficient. Another area is non-operational costs. So these are your tax expenses. These are things totally unrelated to the practice, maybe related to your debt service. So depreciation, interest, any retirement savings that you're having that are going to be at expense of the practice, you don't need any of those. And those are all should be kind of categorized separately. They're totally unrelated to the practice. Now, there could be pension or retirement costs for your staff. And those are part of the benefit package you're offering the staff, but we still consider those non-operational and a benefit in perk, and so they'll be classified separately. So, for example, when I gave earlier, there was approximately 40% direct costs and approximately 20% fixed costs. We now can do this next category, the non-operational, add the salary, maybe add the pension benefit, spousal income, kids, maybe even you know, health insurance, things like that, that could be there. Now, all of a sudden, that shows that we have a 60% overhead or a 40% net, but it actually could be more efficient for that because we could actually be bearing from a tax planning perspective some things inside of the advertising or inside of even some of the direct costs where some of our meals and entertainment, maybe you mentioned gold, maybe we're buying gold and taking it and putting it home. I don't know what you're doing, but we see these things mm-hmm. from the accounting standpoint of what you're bearing in there. And that's it's perfectly fine, whatever you choose to do. But when we normalize the business, typically, if you've got good chart of accounts set up this way, 
there's actually more of, I would call it those add backs that we're going to do to get your true, true net overhead from a valuation standpoint. Yeah, absolutely. So once we know kind of the organization, so we have the revenues, we have expenses, and then expenses are classified as direct and indirect and non-operational. And we hopefully have like some good solid chart of accounts. So those accounts are clear. You don't have too many of them. You can identify kind of what's inside of them through sub accounts. The next phase of just having that organization is analyzing those numbers, right? Mm -hmm. And I think we've kind of talked about this a couple of times, but being able to have these data points and looking at them regularly. So comparing the best P&Ls that I see have not only the current year, but at least the prior year and maybe even the year before that, right? So if I'm looking at 18's P&L, I can see 17 and 16, they're side by side, I can see trends, it's super helpful. And I think sometimes even monthly statements will do that. So that is the best, if your software or your system or your accountant can put together some comparative statements, allow you to see trends, look at them regularly. Like set aside one hour every other week, open up your P&L or one hour a month if you get a monthly, whatever your system allows you to do. Just pull this up and take a look at it and be familiar with the numbers. I cannot tell you how many times we will do evaluation and we will look at, we look at them comparatively in our model. We put them in year over year. And when you do that, you see bumps or you see like, oh, weird. They spent like 30 extra thousand dollars, like as a percentage of collections, it was a big jump one year in supplies. And so we'll ask the question and they'll be like, oh, that was totally misclassified. That was X, Y, or Z, or that was a piece of equipment or, you know, oh, it turns out that was our janitorial expense and they were putting it in repairs and maintenance. And so rather than identifying it two years later, right, you can identify it more quickly. Or if like you said, your lab supplies are kind of getting out of hand and you're not really having a handle on what you're spending, you can identify that maybe four or five months in versus a whole year has passed and we've overspent in a certain cost category. You'll see it too, like the end of year supplies, Mm -hmm. you know, that, hey, let's buy $50,000 supplies and dump Mm -hmm. it in December. So then it drives the cost up and then we're valuing the business the next year. Then now all of a sudden it's like, we don't see any expenses in January. So then we're trying to offset that. Then the buyer's asking questions, the bank's asking questions. And so it's just interesting to see your little bumps. Uh, it's the stuff you got to deal with. Stuff that uh, I deal with all the time. <laughs> you know, when, when you're talking, I'm just sitting there thinking, like, who does just an amazing job of looking at these businesses, really good, clean chart of accounts? It's corporate. Mm-hmm. Corporate America. All these corporate practices, they have excellent accounting. Mm-hmm. Excellent. I mean, their chart of accounts are measured on the month. By the hour, by the day, they can literally compare practices and they know that there's a problem in practice A, B, or C at this hour. They see problems, what's going on, they're making phone calls. So they've got their finger on the pulse. And so for you to not have information four to five months in advance because you're doing quarterly accounting, you just have to ask yourself, is that really the smartest you know, decision? So that's another motivating thing I can tell you is by having good information, you hopefully have your finger on it. By doing your own bookkeeping, you're going to be more aware of it. You know the secret to the sauce. Yes, correct. So you're going to look at your expenses. We've mentioned this a few times, but just to be clear, when you look at your expenses, yes, it's important to look at them from a dollar perspective, but looking at your expenses as a percentage of your collections is how you're going to understand, am I in line with what the industry is, right? And we'll talk about what we use as our industry benchmark and what are the fluctuations. If your practice collections, and this is true for a lot of practices that are really heavy on doctor production, maybe your collections are not 
super, super stable. Maybe you work more days one year, so you have bigger collections. Your expenses will fluctuate, and it's harder to see that if you're looking at it on a dollar basis. So you always want to look at your expenses as a percentage of your collections to understand how material something is. Now, there are a lot of benchmarks in the industry. We at NDP use Kane Waters' How Does Your Practice Compare report. And so it's an annual report that Kane Waters puts out. They utilize their Kane Waters accounting clients because they know kind of what's behind the numbers. They know how things are classified. They know the chart of accounts. Again, we're comparing apples to apples. And they break this book out. It's super, super useful. They break it out by specialty and then by number of doctors. One doctor GP, two doctor GP, three doctor GP. And so it breaks out all of the costs, both direct and indirect, as a percentage of collections to show you or a buyer or a Kmart's client or whoever you are, what does a standard practice look like? And so we use that as our benchmark because we know we do our accounting the same way or we analyze practices the same way. And so would you mind kind of walking us through some highlights of it? And then I'll also, real quick, I'll put a link on our blog to the site. You can go to Canewater's site and find this. It's under their resources. And I'll put a direct link if you want um, an easier access to it. Okay, perfect. So I think this is the sixth year that we've been doing this. And so the accounting department grabs information from the practices that we work with. And Canewater's works with a little over 2,100 dental clients across the country. But just to give you some super high level, big picture stuff, the average general dentist, one doctor, is doing a little over $1.2 million and is netting a little over $500,000. And so when this booklet, which it is, it's online, but when it goes out to these Facebook groups, hey, I just got down, I mean, everyone rips it apart. Where are they? They're probably lying. You know, it's probably false information. You know, the average ADA is 700 and how are they 1.2? They're probably calculating it wrong. It's not wrong. It's just that we work with a lot of very successful practices. We're trying to help you to NDP buy the right practice. So hopefully one day you can be as successful as some of these. But what I like to point out when we're talking about this direct and fixed cost thing is to give you an example of how direct is truly correlated here. Because in a one doctor practice, in this example, I have a salary cost between office, front desk, and chair side for my assistants. It's 21%. Mm-hmm. Now, that's a really fantastic, good number. And then I have a fixed cost of about 17%. So remember those two things. So I've got about 21% on my salaries, and I roughly have about 17% on my fixed costs. And so as I move forward and I go all the way forward to a four-doctor practice, guess what? I still have about the same on my staff cost. But what's really interesting is now all of a sudden I have dropped my fixed cost down to 11% versus about 17 So what that says is in this six-point difference, this variance here that I'm talking about, for every million dollars, it's $50,000, $70,000 of profit. And so from an accountant, CPA, or business financial person, when you look at something like this, you can do the same work to make more money, but you just have to do more in the same facility. That is a no-brainer. So from a GP standpoint, we start to see this. So staff costs is one of the things you really want to control. Your lab, depending on your specialty, you're really focusing on that. Your supplies, you're really focusing on. Our pedos are, are coming in somewhere around 18% from a staff cost standpoint. Our orthodontists are about the same at 18 When you move on into our periodontists, our one-doctor practices, the average periodontist does $1.9 million by themselves, netting about $900,000, so almost a 50% overhead. They have about a 17% staff cost. Oral surgery is about 16. Then we go all the way down to our endos. 
that have approximately about 13% on their staff cost. So our endos, we yeah, really low overhead. It's so low. I mean, yeah. we've, we've got endodontists that make 75% on every dollar that they make. In general, they're making about 60 cents on every dollar, but we've seen the 70 cents on every dollar. So they can actually become very, very profitable. So this tool, this how does your practice compare report, to me, if I'm a dentist, I'm, I like to compare myself to others. And if that guy's winning, I want to copy what's working and I want to run just as fast as he does. I want to be as efficient as he does or efficient as she is. What are they doing? And I want to mirror it. And that's exactly what corporate America has done. They've taken all your practices, taken best of the practices of each, and then basically now running very, very efficient operations across this country. Yeah, I was talking to someone today and I shared the orthodontic comparison report that Keen Waters puts together as a resource for him because he's looking for a practice. And so he's looking at a bunch of practices in California. And I shared it with him with also the caveat that if you're looking at older practices or you're looking at acquiring a practice, there's a pretty big chance that their numbers are not going to align with this benchmark. And there are other benchmarks out there and you can choose and you can understand how those benchmarks were put together and you can decide if you're going to quote, quote, believe it or not, everyone's a critic. But because it doesn't match a benchmark doesn't mean it's a bad practice. It doesn't mean that your practice is bad. It just is a data point to understand why, you know, how your practice compares says that your staff cost should be 21% and your general one doctor practice, fantastic. Minor 25. Well, you know why minor 25? Because I've got Sally who's been there 30 years and I'm happy to pay her extra. Yes, if your supplies are eight and you have zero idea why and other people are doing it at five, you better figure out how they got to five and you better get there. But if you know why your costs are out of line and you are okay with it, that is what we want you to do and that's what we want to understand. And if you're buying a practice and the staff costs are crazy, your supply costs are crazy, we want you to know why they are and that this is something that you can achieve because all of these practices can achieve this level of efficiency and that should be your goal to work towards. So again, understanding your P&L and comparing it to a benchmark is a tool to help you know, understand, tabulate in your head why a number is a number and then get there. So it's awesome because it's what we do. mm -hmm. I I love like these businesses and help these young people buy these businesses and and see the opportunity in them. Mm -hmm. And we're not going to just try to lower staff costs from 35 to 21 because that's what the benchmark is. We just need to ask more questions. Yeah. And know, okay, hey, I know this is what it is and I'm not going to be able to reduce this. So where else can I reduce my cost so I can maybe get some profitability back? Or grow it from 700000 to right. a million with the same people. Yeah. That's, no, that's the quickest way to lower your cost. Yeah. <laughs> quickest. Easy. Drop of the hat, right? <laughs> so we talk about this in episode 14, you know, the Nancy Drew. Sometimes your P&L, if you're a buyer and you're looking to diligence a practice and you get the P&L... You can Nancy Drew and kind of understand maybe what a practice might do. You know, example of this, if I'm an orthodontist, got a P&L, the lab costs are crazy high when I compare them to a benchmark. Maybe means that we're doing Invisalign or we've got SureSmile. If my supply costs are really high, maybe they're using a different type of bracket. So there's things you can learn if you're a general and you got high supplies and low lab. Maybe we're utilizing a CIRAC or some kind of milling machine. So there are definitely clues you can find. Now, high supply cost could just mean we're super inefficient, but at least it's kind of starts you on the path of understanding what am I buying or what am I looking into and what questions do I need to ask? Yeah, I've seen 21% supply cost on periodontists that are placing, you know, implants and it's like you're pretty much like, so you're using Nobel? Mm-hmm. Yeah. How'd you know? 
you can just see some of these expenses, a lab expense and an orthodontist that is at 14%. So are you about 35% of your cases Invisalign? Wow. How did you know that? Because <laughs> we are amazing. No. We just know the numbers. We look at it enough, right? Yes. And that's what we want you to do too. So kind of moving along those lines of if I'm a buyer and I have this P&L, what do I do, right? I mean, we can clearly look at it. We want you to understand it. We want you to, to see how they're spending their money. But we also want you to understand what we do. And we've used the term normalization. And I think we touched on this in episode 16 when we talked about calculating the EBITDA for valuation of a PE offer. But normalization of a practice financials is super, super important in the dentistry world. And if you're thinking about acquiring a practice, you need to understand how we do this. People will come to us all the time and say, hey, have this opportunity. This practice, though, I'm real, real nervous. They have, they're operating at a loss of about 15000 and it looks profitable, and I don't know where their money's going, but it just looks like it's not making any money. Well, when we look at it, they're paying themselves, they're running things through, and the true profitability of that practice is not 15000 or negative 15000 So when we normalize a business, what that means is at the bottom of the P&L, where it's going to say net profit or net income, we're going to start with that number. And then we're going to go back through those indirect categories. We're going to go back through those direct categories. And we're going to try to identify any owner's compensation. And we're going to try to add back any operational, non-operational costs. So all of those non-operational expenses I mentioned, like depreciation, interest, and that owner's pension, we're going to add those back that net income or net profit. And I'm going to add back all those discretionary expenses. And usually there's some clearly identifiable ones. So meals, entertainment, dues, continuing education, maybe consultants, like just things that we know are not necessary to run the practice or that are owner driven. We're going to add those back. That gives you an idea. If you kind of add the net income, owner's comp, discretionary expenses, and non-operational, that will give you an idea of what the true profit of the business is. Now, there are hidden cost categories, and we do this every day for our clients. You have to dig into some of these expenses because they're not flagged out on the P&L as, hey, look at me, I'm discretionary. So maybe it's insurance or they own the building and their rent is not what it really needs to be. The pension They've got salaries all lumped together, so you can't tell what's an associate and what's a family member and what's their staff. So what we strive to do for our clients is not just the kind of what can you see on the surface normalization, but really digging into those categories, asking the right questions of the seller and the broker, and helping you as a buyer understand here is what we have. And here are what is in each of these expenses. So you as a new owner can make your choice about what you're changing and just knowing what's in the bucket. Yeah. Typically like for a client that's reaching out to us, the complimentary one or two hour call with us is us running a high level, what we think these numbers are. And here's four or five questions you should go back and ask mm-hmm. and in the end, like, and love the area, like, and love the doctor. Are they reasonable? And then let's try to facilitate a buy-in. Then we talk about how to move forward with potentially negotiating the deal and engaging us and getting involved. So but what's fun about these podcasts is just making sure that we're kind of setting you up so that you understand the importance of a profit and loss statement so that you can gather some of these things on your own just to maybe do some quick investigation. But we've got a huge team here and we are ready to take care of you. So if you don't want to follow and repeat this seven different times and write every note down and just want us to look at it, 
feel free and we'll be happy to look at any deal you're looking at without any cost or obligation. But if you want to listen to it seven times, I That's mean, feel fun. free. What, what's the one girl? She had a record of 12 or something? <laughs> 13. 13 times. How to get the deal. She wants to get the job. <laughs> gotta love her. <laughs> so I think this all boils down to being in control, especially if you own your own business or want to own your own business, being in control understanding the money that comes in the door, where does it go? And that's not only in the diligence, but once you're an owner and just kind of operating day to day, I mean, this is your asset. This is your cash flow. And even if you're not a numbers person, we want you to be in control and understand it. And you can, you just have to have experience and teach yourself or have a resource or have a team that can help guide you in these areas so that you can be set up for success. Knowing the numbers is half the battle and then knowing what to do with those numbers is the second half. And so clearly that's where team like Hours and teams like the Cane Waters team come in, but you have to have the base knowledge and you have to understand, you know, you can't rely on any one person to do this for you. I think really understanding it yourself first, like Charles said, doing that bookkeeping the first year or really spending some time monthly to know your numbers will help you be equipped. And the next time you look at your PL, I hope you feel better after listening to this. Well, awesome. Well, thank you today, Mr. Loretto. You're very and thank fun. Thank you I can't guys believe... for listening. Why did it take us 25 episodes to talk about a profit and loss? I don't know. Okay. But well, I'm glad we have it now. I know. It's so in the listen books. in. Remember, subscribe to us on Transition Talk on Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, Stitcher, and Spotify, and always like us on Facebook and LinkedIn. Have a great week. All right. Thank you.